foresee um, changing and evolving both locally for you in New York, but but in the world, generally speaking, after this very, very rough year? Yeah, so that is actually a great question. So part of my work, um, it's I would say 90% of the time it, it was and uh, was to encourage or uh, so I work with nonprofits. Um, and part of that work was to 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 help them understand that a lot of the work they do, especially in the field, can be um, can be done using um, te our technology. So the remote work has been a huge huge piece on all of this. And I think the way I I, I see the world changing or evolving is a lot of people understood that could it be a meeting. <laughs> Or can I do this over teams? And the way people work is definitely changing. And I think we're going to need to shape uh, the world, the, the, the professional world, and, and the companies that need to, are going to need to change the way we work today. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the major change. Remote work became a thing for everyone. And that was something we tried to explain before, that it's possible and it's doable. And I think that's the biggest change I see in the world. Yeah, uh, for me personally, I have been working from home for at least three years. So this is normal to me. But I always, it was always very hard for me to explain to people before COVID what that means, what working from home means. And I guess at least now when I say I work from home, uh, people, people understand. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I, I keep saying this. Uh, I've been with Microsoft for 17 years. And I'd say a large part of that period of time was uh, working from home. So besides the fact that I don't travel anymore and I don't do presentations face to face, I don't meet and greet people anymore, which I, I think I miss a lot. Uh, but other than that, this is like normal uh, to me. So Business I think as usual. Yeah, we are one step ahead because we are already doing it. So I think we didn't have such a hard time as other people to, uh, you know, understand what is a day working from home, right? I have like my office and I just go from, you know, nine to five, eight to five, if you will. And you just keep doing it and working. It's just another day in the office. Outside of the working experience itself, do you see, uh, talking about New York, for example, it used to be a buzzing city and they say now it's like a desert. Uh, do you see New York coming back to what it was before COVID? Or do you think that COVID overall will change the culture and the essence of the city in the long term? Mm, that is actually a great question. So. Uh, yes, New York became a little bit of a ghost town, but it's mostly in, in, for instance, our office is in Times Square, is in the heart of Times Square. So when you go today, um, you will see that it's empty because for two reasons, uh, people are no longer in the office and uh, there are no tourists. So if you think about that, it becomes a little ghosty because you see a lot of unfortunately homeless and and a lot of people just hanging around and that's that's where you it it was there before it just we couldn't see it because there were millions of people per day i think what what is the biggest problem is you see 
all the offices are now empty. And I think what the city is trying is to bring us back. So right now we are reaching stage three. So what it means is we can now opt in or out for a hybrid uh, environment. So I, I actually applied to do hybrid. What it means is you can work from home and you're, you have the option to go in the office after approval from uh, Microsoft, uh, the company you work with. Uh, a lot of people are going back in the office, and I don't think that is um, that is known for the rest of the world, but people are slowly coming back, uh, but I think it's going to take a while. What, what I think about New York is, uh, in, uh, New York is, I think New Yorkers are tough, and we always find a way to, to, to make the best of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, right now it's, super, it's getting like super cold outside. So we only have outdoor dining and we only have 25% indoor. Still, a lot of people are not doing indoor. So what we do is, you know, you dress uh, with several layers so you can just enjoy and being outside. So I think that's the thing about New Yorkers is we've always find a way to, to okay, how do I adjust? And uh, unfortunately, when COVID started, um, there was a huge percentage of infected because people wouldn't. Also, the number of people is much different than the other city. Uh, just inside the city, it's uh, more than 8 million people. So if you think about it, uh, and the fact that it's mandatory to wear a mask at all times outside, it makes sense because uh, the population is wider than any other city. So that's the reason. So as soon as we understood, okay, this is what we need to do, people just do it because we want to move to the next phase. Mm -hmm. But I think, uh, yeah, I think New York is going to change, not in a bad way. I think we're going to rise again, you know, and rebuild the city. And because that's, that's, that's the move, you know, you, we all often say, you know, I'm walking over here. It's a very like, uh, if you haven't been in the city, uh, if someone is walking slowly, you like get, I get super stressed and nervous. Like, I like, come on, I'm walking over here. And I think that says a lot about New York. It's, I, I keep moving, you know, can't stop. And uh, okay, I can go to this side, I go to the right side. And I think that's gonna be like this. And I talked to people who used to who live here for the last 20 years and New York in the 80s was much, much different than it is now. And that's what they say. We went, we always, we will always reinvent ourselves and we go do something else and, and places close. There are a lot of places who close, were closed right now, but some, something else was going to come up, up, you know, you know, some, something else is going to open and we're just going to continue. So we have a lot of faith in that. Although a lot of people left the city because they feel New York, as I know it, is dead. It's gone. And uh, so we're trying to, I am trying to still be patient and like see the best out of it, but we'll see how it goes in the next three to four months. Yeah. So you mentioned you've been at Microsoft for 17 years already, uh, but I know you haven't started at Microsoft, nor in this job, nor in this location. So can you share with us 
the journey so far, even there probably is a world before Microsoft. So if you can just share with us uh, your journey to um, till this date by locations, but also by jobs, uh, that'll be great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's been a long time. <laughs> I feel old. So I I I didn't want to work in IT. Going back to when I was like 17, I always loved numbers, finance. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, and uh, one day I was like, you know what? I need a year off of this. So I just tried my first uh, IT training, and I was like. I love this because I can keep learning and you never, it never gets boring, uh, you know, and that's how I, I, I need to be challenged all the time. So I was like, okay, I think I want to do this for a living. So what I did, I started to work um, very early age. I was like 17. Uh, I was always studying and working at the same time. Uh, I, I'm not from Lisbon. I moved there when I was 18 on my own, like a dreamer, a backpack and no money at all. Uh, and uh, all is that time. So, you know, it was a long time ago. I'm talking about 22 years ago. To be a woman and working in IT was a big challenge. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I remember my first training uh, for Microsoft. We were 20 people in the classroom. I was the only girl at the time. I was 20 years old, very, very young. And uh, it took me 16 different interviews in 16 different companies to get a job. First, I was a woman. Second, I was very young. So no one would, get me, would hire me. Although my coworkers, my colleagues, sorry, they were hired at the same age. So that's when I think I first understood, okay, uh, this is not going to be as easy as I thought it would be. So I, I started to, to, to teach um, Microsoft official curriculum for a Portuguese company called Romus and Galileo, uh, two of them um, actually. And I thought, okay, this is the path I want I have. I'm going to take it, you know, get the best out of it. That's what I always do. And my dream was always to work for Microsoft. I'm not going to hide that. I always wanted to work for Microsoft. And at the time I was working for a Portuguese bank. I worked for a few Portuguese banks and I met someone who was uh, working for Microsoft. And I remember he said to me, you got to persist and persist and persist and persist. And I said, you know what? You're right. So one day um, someone approached me, a friend of a friend and said, we are hiring and we're starting a call center in Portugal in English. And we can only promise you six months. And I was like, what do I do? I am a full-time employee, but I can just get, I was like, I'm too young to, to, to stay with a job I don't like. So I went for the interview and when I was, I started the interview in English and uh, someone asked me, do you speak French? I was like, uh, I do. I was actually, my parents used to live in Switzerland. I was raised between Portugal and Switzerland. I actually speak French. And guess what? They decided, what if we start a call center in French with you? I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I remember they offered me, my base pay was not what I, I should have, but I was like, I'll take it, whatever. You know, I just want to get in. And in my mind, I think the fact that I always thought this is just a, such a great opportunity. I have six months to a year to prove myself. 
And uh, I remember after two years, I was the first person in a large team to be hired as a full-time employee. And uh, I think that was because I I was like really working and putting a lot of effort. After that, I did support for five and a half years. I worked for all day Western Europe, French, English, and Portuguese in the end. And then I moved as a premier field engineer. I wanted to go in the field, you know, and just, you know, hands-on and, and have customer face, uh, which I did in Portugal for six years. And then I said, you know what, I need to fly. And uh, I took an opportunity in Canada uh, and I moved to Toronto where I stayed for a year. Um, I, and then I had some personal changes in my life and I made the decision to go back to Portugal as a technical account manager, uh, was managing uh, what it doesn't exist anymore, SMSNP customers, public sector, and EPG. I was on all of three of them. It was a very, very good position because I learned the other side of Microsoft. Why? It, it made me look, okay, this is the support. This is very, very much engineering. And now I'm going to understand, you know, how to manage big accounts, where the money, you know, it's a little bit of sales. Uh, so um, I learned what I didn't know for two and a half years. And I was getting ready to uh, take a consultant job uh, for Office 365 in London. And on that same day, I was getting the proposal. I got a proposal to come work in New York City. Wow. And I always wanted to live in New York City. Uh, but in my mind, I was like, maybe I'm too old, you know, it's another, I kept, I, I, I like, I moved six times in the, in those two years from place to place and I became a minimalist. I don't like have my stuff. I, I had, you have to keep everything very small because I kept moving and I was like, oh, I just moved to this new apartment that I love in the city. I'm rebuilding my life. I'm not going to do it. And remember, I remember my best friend looked at me and I said, when you stay in New York, your eyes get sparkles. So I think you should just follow your dreams. And I was like this. So I actually, I was on vacation here when I got the interview. It was, the, you know, I think when the universe has something planned for you, everything falls into place uh, without me controlling or doing anything so then I got the job it wasn't the job I was dreaming about but I made the decision this is the place I want to live so I came back as a premier field engineer for uh, two and a half year or so and then I got this huge opportunity uh, to work for uh, a startup that started inside um, within Microsoft which is called tech for social impact we uh, we are under philanthropists within Microsoft. And what we do is support our nonprofits around the world. So uh, I remember when someone asked me, how would you feel to work for nonprofits and be good at like doing the technology side? I was like, is that even possible? Because I did volunteer in Africa before with Microsoft. I've always been involved in that world. So it was like a dream come true. Um, so I joined that team in the end of 2018, uh, in the, sorry, June 2018, uh, where I've been ever since. And uh, 
I, I'm already planning my new next role uh, within the, the team. And uh, it's very challenging. It's, it's a lot of, uh, um, you know, it's a new world, as you said, for COVID. And we have a lot of challenges because nonprofits are now facing two, two major problems. It's the volunteers, because we can no longer volunteer um, as we used to do. And you can no longer engage people. A lot of our nonprofits are suffering from no, not having the donations. And uh, so that, that, that has been a challenge. But at the same time, it's good because at the end of the day, you're, you're selling technology because we sell technology, software, licensing. But we also, and at the end of the day, I contributed to this mission. You know, it's good when you turn on the TV, you go on Good Morning America, you see Make-A-Wish going live, and you know, our, we are in the back assisting them with live events through Teams. And, you know, like I'm part of something bigger. So I am contributing for this mission, their mission, I think. That's, that's uh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Claudia, what are some of the learnings from, you know, living and working in so many different countries? You mentioned mil minimalism, so I guess that's one of them. But what what are uh, maybe other, other learnings from that experience? Mm. Yeah, uh, man, that's great. <laughs> great question. I think the first time you moved and uh, no one prepare you for that is the emotional connection you keep to your country. Uh, and being Portuguese, um, I feel like we're very, very connected to our roots, to our family. Uh, we have a huge history uh, as a country. So I feel like I heard this many times, like I, I, it's like I carry my flag and I'm so proud of being saying I am Portuguese. That makes me always proud. But I think no one prepares you for, I think in the beginning it's exciting, uh, you know, new world, new, new place and new friends. After two or three months, you start to like go down and uh, like, okay, I think I miss a lot of things I didn't know I would miss. Um, and I think that's part of the what you sign up for, but no one prepares you for that. And you miss a lot of things. You listen to Fado and you want to like cry because, oh my gosh, I miss my family, miss my friends, everything you know. But I think in after that, if you do a little bit of uh, disconnect uh, from the emotion and you see everything else, it's, it, 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 Okay, what can I take from this place? So I have a rule when I move to a city, I always move into the city. I live downtown or live in a place that I, I know I'm not going to be here for a long time. So I want to take the best of it. I want to take the best of the city. So that's the first thing. And I think the second thing you one must do is create a routine for yourself. So what I'm trying to say is first time around, no one prepared me for this. Second time around, and I arrived Saturday on Sunday, and this is no joke. I moved to a, 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 an apartment. I went to do groceries. I went to to, to subscribe as a member at the local gym. So I, it's like I want to start to have like things to do, like my routine. And that's when you 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 start like living or fitting into the city. I think the challenges is always going to be uh, different culture have different ways of living, either we want it or not. 
And I feel like American culture can be very distant from not even Portuguese, European culture. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you got to adjust. But as I often hear a friend of mine that is Portuguese and has been living here for 14 years, I remember the first thing he said to me is, there's a lot of things I wouldn't accept if I was in Portugal, but I got to understand I'm living in a different country and now I have to have I have to be open to accept things that I wouldn't otherwise. So I think if you open your mind and, and okay, what can I take from this experience? What can I learn from this? Um, what I think the essential thing is about all of this, I think I became more and more tolerant to other cultures, more accepting, ac- accepting other people and other cultures. And and I think that's something that um, when you live in one single place all your life, it's harder to do or to achieve because you live like in your bubble and now you break your bubble and you go outside and you also have to expose yourself and know different people, you know, and, and, and adjust the place where you are. But I, I would say like the, the what I miss the most is the food too. I miss the food. I miss the food a lot. And of course, my family, my friends, and, and, and as I said, the cultural side of it, it's, it's a huge part. So that, right? Portuguese so that, words. absolutely. That, that's the Portuguese, you know, Portuguese uh, soul and, and, and pride. And, and we can see that in you. And am I right in saying that your earrings are very Portuguese today? There <laughs> you <are>. See, that's the little things. I I I, I am proud of my heritage, and uh, I I never forget where I come from. And I think deep down, I don't know if it's secure to say, but I will say it: every Portuguese in the end dreams to go back someday. Yeah, yeah. it's quite interesting because um, myself as well. I live in the UK, and uh, I live in Reading. It's not. It's not New York, it's not London, but I can feel uh, what you're talking about being exposed to many different cultures because I would compare the UK with the European America, which Mm -hmm. is where you see a lot. And I do believe that having this, um, being um, facing this this, uh, diversity helps you develop empathy. And I think that's really important today more than ever. I think we're we're uh, in this autopilot to a very um, unempathetic world. And I think having empathy is something that stands out and is very important for you to develop sometime in your life. And I do agree that being exposed, having to leave your comfort zone and just be dropped in the, in the, in the middle of the ocean and like now just rebuild your life from scratch. And <laughs> forward, is, I think it's such a a growing experience and I would recommend everyone I know it's very difficult to move around uh, more now more than ever but definitely um, is an experience that I would definitely recommend and I do resonate as well quite a bit but going back to to um, your core role today uh, you mentioned I'm a salesperson working from nonprofit, and it's quite interesting because even myself growing up I had this idea oh 
you're rich, so why don't you give money, lots of money, to, to the poor people to grow them back to a level where everyone is at the same level uh, and can basically uh, evolve and develop. However, with time, I went to uni, uh, I started working as well, and very quickly I understood that actually giving money is like opening a black hole and just pouring money and not necessarily you will have outcomes from that money. So can you just share with us your perspective on this one? I know giving money is, is still important, um, is a key, um, um, uh, a key, uh, in, uh, is key for these nonprofits, but you, we need people like you uh, with structure uh, for the nonprofits as well. Can you just share this uh, mm -hmm. two view world to us for everyone to understand? Because sometimes it's not very clear uh, to people uh, why money is not enough. Yeah, actually, that's that's very, very, very true. And and to your point is um, when people see my name or LinkedIn or try to connect. They're like, oh, I want to work for a nonprofit. So the first thing I say is, look, I don't work in the nonprofit. I work in the corporate world. So that should say something. And the other thing is, I do indeed work in under philanthropists, and we do donate millions, billions per year. So we do have that side where it's purely philanthropic, uh, as you know, um, probably you read over the news that uh, Bill and Melinda Gates are number one philanthropic people in, in, the, in, the, in the corporate world. So we do indeed uh, give donations. But to your point, and it's great, great, great point is, is that enough that I give my money away or should I just empower them? And what, how, how could we do that as Microsoft? So what we thought is I, I have to be able to enable those people to go on the extra mile and how do I enable people? I give you a scenario. How, what, what good is it I give $100 to a volunteer that is in a remote location in Namibia to do what? It has nothing to do. So what if I enable that volunteer with a mobile phone where it can have teams, where it can communicate with the rest of the team spread around the world and be able to remote remotely connect with that same team and what else can he take from that can he use office 365 can he has can he have email can he have meetings can he have calls and that's how we see technologies enabling volunteers enabling first-line workers nonprofits to be able to connect uh, for instance i work with mercy ships all over the ocean, it's really hard for them to be and stay connected. So what we do is not only we also give them donations like Doctors Without Borders, IRC, International Rescue Committee. So it, it, these are things we work and we give them money. But it on and then our team, Tech for Social Impact, we come in as like, okay, we got the money, so you can buy the hardware, right? We also give them surfaces. Um, we, we do that. So we install them, we, we do that as an, a volunteer activity as a team. But, okay, now we have all of this. What do you need? I need software, all right? I need the licensing. So where, where, where do we come in? We give them discounts of 70% of the 
price for commercial. So that's a huge discount. And we give them teams for free in the, in the licensing for free for nonprofits. So that's the way of us at Microsoft to help them to be able to do that extra mile in terms of technology. And that's, that's how we connect and that's how we drive um, impact in, in their mission. Because if you give them money, that's not enough. They don't have the resources in the house. They don't know what is security. They don't, there's so many things they don't have because they usually work five people do the entire thing. So there's no, they don't have human resources to deal with that. They don't have the licensing. They don't have the technology. So we got to come in and provide them with a means to their end. And that's where we come in. And that's why it's so important that we bring the technology and the knowledge, you know, all the people that work in my team, we are the subject matter experts that are always there to assist them and to show them the way in all the sites of Azure, you know, Office 365, CRM, Dynamics, everything, artificial intelligence that we're bringing heavily for nonprofits. And especially now during COVID, and I don't want to talk too much, but during COVID, we have a lot of nonprofits dedicated to healthcare. So that's where we could really, really make a difference. We bring bookings to them where we create a, a, a way for them to have patients, uh, you know, and connect to the doctors and around the, 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 the world in the field. That's where you can see the difference you can make. So, but the thing is, all companies are ready to help any corporate, uh, any any uh, commercial, as we call customers, but there was no no one that would help the nonprofits. So they were just on their own. And that's even yesterday, I was in a call with the Salvation Army and, you know, those are all over the world. And they said, putting in words, how much Microsoft has helped us, your team has helped us. Because in the, in the past, there was no one. We didn't know where to buy license. We didn't know where to go where to get technology. So you help us in, in a way that we can even put it into words. So that's the feedback and that's when you know, yeah, we're helping them to do that extra mile that otherwise they will be, they will be on their own and, and not enough. And, yeah. and that has to be really rewarding, right? It is, it is, it, it's a good feeling. Not every day is like uh, unicorns and rainbows. Uh, there is no such thing. But when you go on meetings like this and, and you see that people are so grateful, mm -hmm. I think the word is they feel grateful that you exist and you're there to be part of their mission. And I make sure I always tell them, thank you for letting me be part of your mission because I want to see what technology can do for you. And that's when you see, okay, this is, I come home and I, I did something bigger. For, yeah. for the world. I contribute Absolutely. to something. Absolutely. So um, going back to something you mentioned before, you said we are um, a corporation, right? And, and I think it's fair to say that Microsoft and other big corporations, we play a, an important role in, in today's world and economy. Uh, Microsoft specifically over the years has developed, you know, lots of ways to, to give back to the communities while also giving employees opportunities, right, to drive that change and, and create that impact. 
Um, and, and I guess, Claudia, my question for you is, what do you think is the role and responsibility, if any, of, of these organizations in the world? Yeah, uh, I think we all, and when I say we are the organization, right? I think we all have uh, a role in this. And uh, not only we should contribute, but we should, uh, you know, um, for instance, in my team, there is a huge uh, push. I don't know if I thought the right word, but uh, or at least encouraging our, uh, our teammates to contribute through volunteer, through donations. So I think we all have the social responsibility because the little thing, little you give can make a huge difference, even if we don't see it. So I think we all have that responsibility. And now more than ever, I think poverty has now became, it, 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 it is now bigger than ever. Uh, you know, you leave the house and you look around and uh, I think, first of all, you got to understand how, uh, how, how um, blessed you are, how lucky we are. You know, uh, we have special, uh, I mean, primary care and, you know, essential. We have it. And, but that's not the case for a lot of people. And I feel COVID is going to impact in a really negative way a lot of families, you know. And... Uh, so I think more than ever, we should do our part. Is it volunteer? Is it a donation? Is, uh, for, for instance, we can be volunteers to help kids that are on uh, remote learning. Uh, we have that within the company. Uh, every time we do an offsite that we don't do anymore, but we always dedicate one day to volunteer for an organization. Is it packing meals? Is it cleaning? I did it all. I did it all. I even clean going the forest and we're cleaning bushes and stuff. So anything they need. And I think every company should, um, first of all, give their employees that space because some companies don't. And uh, it's hard because you got to take a day off. So I think on that side, companies need to consider that being part of an employee um, right it's to volunteer and to encourage them uh, to to go that path. And I think the leadership has to set an example, to my point. It has to come from the top because we are driven by example. So I think that's, that's how we should start. It's quite interesting because you touched on COVID. Um, and in the beginning, in the beginning of, uh, of all COVID stuff, I actually thought, oh, people are, are paying it more attention. People are becoming more empathetic. Uh, and people are looking at their next neighbor more closely. But now, nine, nine months later, I'm like, no, I think this is not happening. So what do you feel that that still needs to be done today by corporations, mm -hmm. by ourselves? And also, have you identified during your uh, journey in this team, have you identified gaps that no one is looking at today but needs a lot of attention? Mm -hmm. So I think the the first uh, part of the your statement is uh, companies need to create a division like Microsoft did. Uh, philanthropy seems to a team to be able to help those. And you you have seen this more. Uh, you've seen other companies uh, 
without bringing names, but do you see other companies that are creating that? Even our partners, we work a lot with partners. They have they are creating specific teams to just that just work with nonprofits. So I think that's the beginning, and from that we can achieve the next uh, mile. Um, in terms of what are the gaps, the gaps I see is mostly are around uh, resources. So I, th- I think the nonprofits don't have the resources to handle technology. So I think that's the, the first part of it. And uh, there are different challenges, you know, in terms of communication and breaking barriers. For instance, I, I, I love team a lot. It's like my number one because you have two things. You break barriers in terms of language and communication through closed captions, the translation services. I work with the UN, so I can see that live working and happening every day around the world. And uh, that amazes me. So it's, we break that barrier in terms of communication to different cultures and also accessibility. We have a lot of disabled, you know, and, and that is such a huge part of Microsoft's mission to break those barriers and to feel everyone is welcome and to include everyone. So I think those are the, the, the barriers, if you want to call gaps that I see, is human resources and having the right skills. So there's a lot of things that need to, to be done in terms of nonprofits, uh, because it's not just enough, I'm going to go volunteer. All nonprofits have a structure as, as, as a company. They need to have teams. They need to help the volunteers, the full-time employees, the first-line workers. This is the same as a corporation, just works in a different level. And they also understand, they are underpaid too. That is another thing. And so I always admire these people because they do a lot with very less. So I think that's something we should, in the future, should be considered how to make them feel that you're more valuable. Of course, it's all, if you are underpaid after 20 years and, and you don't have like a comfortable life, maybe you think, I love the mission, but I have kids, I have kids to raise, I, I have family. So a lot of people end up leaving that, that world and join a corporate bit for that same reason. So I think if we if we do better, and when I say we, it's nonprofits and also corporates helping nonprofits uh, in that sense, providing them with training for free, for instance, and training their people, um, you know, making them be better at their job in terms of technology, that's going to be a good starting point to mitigate that gap, I say. It's quite interesting because it touched something. And I don't think a lot of people know that a nonprofit is organized in the same way as a corporation. So they need to pay salaries. And a lot of people are are there by love, uh, like we say in Portugal, than, uh, than by the money. And I don't think that there's enough awareness. Even myself, I had the, the, the pleasure to actually work with nonprofit in my previous role. And it just struck to me when I first uh, spoke with this nonprofit that, ah, oh my God, I didn't know that, but this is a company, they need to pay people. Yeah. And I think this there's a lack of awareness to the normal people in the world that nonprofits still hire people and there's people there that need to feed their family based 
on the salaries mm-hmm. that are paid in this company. So I don't know if there's anything there that can be done to make people more aware that actually there's people who live and breathe from the from this this commitment they've made with their lives and their careers. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people work and just to their heart. It's like something that I'm passionate about. Uh, and we, I, I, what I, what I could like for two things. In my team, we all share the same passion about the mission and nonprofit. That's the main factor. We all share some sort of story, or I have coworkers who actually started nonprofit, which is very impressive. And we all have uh, we we all have that in common. Every some someone has a story or a mission or a disease or you know there is a cause to their heart. And then I have the volu- the, the volunteers. And when I say volunteers, I also say the first line workers, which are the people who work as in a company that are underpaid, but they all have the same in common. They are passionate about it, and the money money is not the number one uh, driven for them. They are driven by uh, other motivations. And uh, I always admire what they can do with, you know, not, not, not much incentive, incentive, if you will. And uh, that's why I think their work is, um, is special to me. And I always make sure they know uh, how much I appreciate what they do. And I, I talk about nonprofits that are completely different. I have nonprofits helping uh, women. Um, we have the black community, black American community, the, the BLM, uh, if you will. We have so many different, but you know what? In the end, I always tell them, you all different. I share the same mission because the mission in the end is the same. You know, you want to do something that is going to be creating a change in the world. It's a little thing, but it's a lot of impact in how you can impact someone's life with little acts of um, kindness, I would say. Absolutely. And uh, Claudia, on that note, on that note, uh, My Skills for Africa, and you alluded to this before, um, it's a wonderful program that provides opportunities for folks within Microsoft to to impact and to give back to the world. Um, can we can you share with us a bit, um, you know, your experience participating in this program and, and what uh, it is all about? Well, it was by far the best experience I had in my life. I wow. can tell you that. Um, so when I was um, applying for the program, and at the time it had a different name, but it's 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 the same as Skills for Africa. Um, I I I was I know there was hundreds of people, and I remember they said that to me. Don't keep your hopes up uh, up because there's a lot of people. And I said I know, but I know I'm gonna get it because I know how much I want it, and it's gonna happen. And I remember I was in, I remember where I was I was in Jordan uh, for a customer and they called me and they say I've been selected and it's no shame I started to cry and everybody was like why would you cry because you selected to go volunteer in the middle of Malawi with nothing around I was like this is bigger than me this is bigger than me so I think as I said this was a great experience and it came as I always say that nothing happens. Uh, there are no coincidences, okay? So this happened in a very, I would say, 
not a great moment in my life, in my personal life. And uh, I think when I landed there and my mindset was not even prepared for what I was going to see. So it helped me. It helped me. And I think it would help everyone to get perspective, you know, perspective about your life. You know, you have all of this. And uh, when I remember first time I went on the orphanage and I bring some pens uh, and a pencil for the kids and uh, they were using it as spoons to wait. And um, that broke my heart. And, um, you know, they had nothing and they kept smiling. And I remember they looked at me and said, why are you crying? And I was like, you know what? They should be the ones crying. They are the only ones that are happy because they all, 90% of those kids have AIDS transmitted to their parents to date. So it's like, you know, it's bigger than me. So I think if anyone, uh, if I could give a piece of advice to anyone, is go li- do this or something. It doesn't need to be Africa. You can do this next, next to your home. Go, go do something for your community. Get involved. Understand that there are little things that you take for granted that you, a lot of people don't have it. So I think it helps you to understand, first of all, how lucky we all are, but gives you perspective about life in general. And I remember I said this, I don't remember last time I felt so completed. You know what? Because I was giving. I didn't expect anything in return at all. Not even a smile. And I think that was the best experience for that reason because I could understand there's there are other things bigger than us and maybe be less selfish. But also I could see we 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 rebuilt five schools and what what we did is not like we rebuilt the school. We we bring computers, we connect them to the internet. They had school with the internet for the first time. So when you think about this, like, well, we have internet all the time. We don't have Wi-Fi. And we're like freaking out. We don't have Wi-Fi for five minutes. And when you see the kids, well, they were opening Wikipedia for the first time. And you see their faces. Like they wanted to smile and the big smile. Like, oh, my gosh, you know this? You know this? You know this? Like they were learning. And when you open the world um, for them, you can see that every one of those kids, can do so much better, you know? They can do something with their lives. And in Africa, I don't know if, if, if you know this, but uh, girls are not as educated because their parents don't see them as equal. So we create the Digi Girls, uh, and we're teaching an entire day just for girls and how to develop uh, an app. And I tell you this, you give them the tools, and those people are just want to be doing something, and they do it. And they are so smart. It just they are not, they don't have the tools or the meaning. But uh, any key that you you give them the tools to to do something, they are so um, willing to learn that they take every opportunity. And that's the satisfaction you get from, you know, what I gave this kid a computer, and now he can just start to see the world outside and learn. They use that as a learning platform, not to go on like Facebook or any any social network. They use this as a learning um, path. So it, that's 
that's uh, how great it was. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know what to say after this one. Um, so uh, we are about to to reach the hour. Uh, this was I didn't even feel the time pass, and we just wanted to finish the conversation in a more giggly and lighter mood. Um, yeah. So we have a bunch of like 10 quick questions is, do you prefer this or that? So let's start with the first question. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee all day. <laughs> dogs or cats? Dogs, only dogs. <laughs> Movies or books? Books. This one is going to be difficult. Pancakes or pastejnata? Pastejnata, for sure. <laughs> Winter or summer? Summer all year long. <laughs> iOS or Android? This is more geeky. iOS. Uh, going out or staying in? Staying in. <laughs> Even now? Even now. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Sunrise or sunset? Mm, sunrise, morning person. Comedy or drama? Drama. Shop online or shop in store? Online, always. <laughs> You're a true American. I need you 100%. <laughs> Uh, this was, um, uh, I don't know, 51 minutes of such an amazing conversation. Uh, I'm definitely living this conversation beyond inspired. Um, and definitely, hopefully, one day I'll be part of a team like yours, or I will be doing uh, some work in my local community that definitely sparked on me. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's quite early for you, uh, even though you're an early bird. Uh, but thank you for so much for taking the time to share your journey with us. Um, I'm beyond pleased and thankful. <laughs> I don't know, Tanya, if you want to say anything else before we close up? Yeah, no, no, likewise, absolutely. This was such a, an inspiring conversation, Claudia. Uh, thanks for taking the time to, to chat with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And uh, as the last thing I was just like to say about everything I said, don't wait for uh, Africa. Don't wait for anything. Just go outside, do a little thing, you know, for your neighbor, uh, for someone you see out in the street, one little thing and you can help someone's life. Give, you know, just give. And that's the, that's how you go to the next level. So thank you so much. I, I hope it was good and uh, I'll talk to you um, soon, I hope. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you.